0: Kids, this is carl with an update on music to code by on january 4th 2016 i released the 11th music to code by track gold that's right there are now 11 25 minute tracks including the original three and you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.poop.com
1: Net Rocks, episode 1252, with guest Seth Juarez, recorded Wednesday, January 13th, 2016.
0: Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. Richard and I are in London once again. Sort of in London. This is pretty East London. It is Eastish. There's a river, like, right next door. Yeah. And the most insane thing is it takes an hour and a half to get here from the airport. Right. Because you have to drive through town. Yes, because the airport's on the west side of London. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it would be great if we could just fly into this municipal airport yes. that's right here, but... Oh well. That's just crazy talk. We're in NDC London. Seth Juarez is here. We're gonna be talking to him in just a minute. But first, it's better no framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you got? Quartz.net. Quartz. Quartz. Net. Quartz yep. Like the like the rock. Like the rock. Quartz.net. Or you go to quartz.pwop.me. This, uh, that's just a, a shortcut. Quartz.net is a full-featured open-source job scheduling system ah. that can be used from smallest apps to large-scale enterprise systems, a pure .NET library written in C and is a port of the very popular open-source Java job scheduling framework, Quartz. Okay. So just once again,
2: we borrow the good ideas from the Java folks. Right.
0: And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. We actually used it at AppVNext on a project uh, that we'll be talking about soon. Nice. Is it on GitHub? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. And it's also on
2: SourceForge, but we won't talk about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a link to the Quartz, the, the Java one as well. Here you go. <laughs> it's all right you can laugh <laughs> trying to keep the audio channels clear for you
1: gentlemen clear and clean that's right clear and clean because oh, right. he's a professional oh, <laughs> prof- professional right air quotes everywhere <laughs> everywhere
0: <laughs> oh, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> that's how today's gonna that's go it's gonna, gonna it? go like there's that there's air quotes everywhere there's there's quotes everywhere into my <laughs> face.
2: all right oh, my, close my out my. your better <laughs> over the framework there buddy
0: <laughs> all right well anyway there you go if you want to check it out quartz.twop.me. No, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, <laughs> Uh Grabbed a comment off show 1020, the one we did with
2: Seth Juarez, oh. where we talked about machine learning hey. in the cloud back in August of 2014. Right. And uh, this is a comment that you already responded to, sir. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, Josek Paul, who said, I enjoyed listening to Seth Juarez talk about Numel, that is New ML, at Codemash. I guess that was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and chatted with him later. I was looking forward to listening to this episode and... And it delivered.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) I did pay friendship dues to him, though, shortly thereafter. Like the stork. (laughs) The tools for scrubbing the data, the OFI data support, and so on, they're really cool. But the idea of creating a web service to expose your model with the click of a button is amazing. Yeah.
0: I'm all about exposing
2: a me. That's Azure ML, to be fair. Yes. And he says, I'm looking forward to playing with Azure ML. Very good. All right. So it's not all Numel. Yeah. it's just Azure ML as well. I'm sure we can talk about both today. I think so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, Joseph, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or on any of our social media platforms. We post every show to Google
0: Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter or send us a tweet. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. We eat tweets for breakfast.
1: So, I had sausages for breakfast. I just want you to know. English breakfast is like a serious thing it's here. A, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. we're talking beans and sausage, and you Tomatoes. need to take a nap after <laughs> breakfast. It's yeah. fantastic. That's right. You don't have to eat it all. <laughs> well, no. I, mean, I feel like disrespectful if I don't. You know, <laughs> I know it's buffet style, but still.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, let me introduce this guy sitting right next to me here. Seth Juarez holds a master's degree in computer science where his field of research was artificial intelligence, specifically in the realm of machine learning. Seth is an evangelist for Microsoft and devotes the majority of his time making videos for Channel 9. When he's not working in that area, Seth devotes his time to an open-source machine learning library, specifically for .NET, intended to simplify the use of popular machine learning models, as well as complex statistics and linear algebra, which we're going to talk about today. That's right. N-U-M-L. That's right. A new ML.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a weird name. So I went to, you remember 2011, there was a mix. At Mix, 2011. Yes, right. the, la- the last L- that's one. The last
2: mix, yeah. yeah. There
1: was an open source fest. Yeah. Right. Uh, John that's Papa it, put it on. And that's where Glimpse came that's out. from right. And there was a bunch of great stuff that came out of that. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a lot of good stuff. And yeah. I had just done a talk at CodeStock. It was like my first talk ever like in the community. Mm. And someone said, hey, why don't you put your machine learning library into into the open source fest and I thought hey that's great and so I get there you were and f- a DevEx guy this time I was still did? I was at DevEx uh, I, I was, was just you I was Deve- just barely at DevEx okay. barely Devex. and I remember that I, as people were coming around and judging the entries Phil Hack I think was one of the judges and he came and he's like yeah that's really cool but Man, that's kind of a garbage name. It was machine learning for .NET. That was the name. Oh, oh. ML.NET. No, just just machine learning for, that's what the code. It's a very Microsoft name. Yeah, and I was like, wait a minute. He's like, wait a minute, that's kind of cool. Your stuff is cool, but it needs a new name. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what what should I name it? I know it's machine learning. And so I looked at what Phil had, because NuGet was brand new, I think, ish.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I was just like, well, I'll just call it New ML. yeah. And I went and I went to go register the domain name, NewML, and it, obviously NewML.com was not available, but NewML.net was, and I was like, that's wow. it. I mean, if
0: a domain's available, In yeah. In 2011, a four-letter domain is amazing. NewML. <laughs> so I ha-
1: NewML.net, if you go there, you'll, you'll actually see it. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and so it's an interesting thing, right? Right. It, bad name. Maybe sort of contributed, but that was the year that Glimpse won. There's no way anyone would have... Would have well, actually. Glimpse yeah, continues yeah. to be incredibly awesome. We just had uh, Anthony
2: and sure. uh, and Nick on talking about version 2. Yeah. yeah. So they're actually working on their product. <laughs> I didn't realize that the new ML was... Is, I mean, it's five years old now, right? We did,
0: a, we did a DNR TV together That's on the right. new ML. And it, I, I really appreciated the way you just made it accessible to mere mortals and let's face it most programmers this is way beyond sort of their their wheelhouse I think
1: yeah and it's unfortunate because I think I, I was I was hesitant to talk about new ML in general and so I would you, you know I, over the years I've talked about specifically machine learning principles and how they work and when I surface the visualizations right for people to understand mm. what, what's going on obviously behind the scenes it's new ML that's that's providing, it's not the visualizations, but the actual models. Mm -hmm. And then I use them to generate these visualizations, right? Right. And so the problem I felt was that, like, look, if someone, if the best data scientists will not call themselves data scientists, right? They'll be like, I'm a programmer and I do some machine learning, right? Yeah, yeah. But those that, like, tend to promote themselves as, oh, I'm a data scientist, you know, it's kind of like, I don't call myself a data scientist. I don't feel qualified It's a little
2: pretentious. Yeah. Well... Because well, if you're going to add the word scientist to your name, you pretty much need to tag at least a PhD in there
1: somewhere. Yeah, and I don't have one. All right. No, right. Well, well, you're only, an, um,
0: only a master's, degree. almost a PhD.
1: Well, right? like I said, I, I studied I studied machine learning for for a while. I was in grad school for a while. My advisor decided to go to the University of Maryland. Bless his heart. Great, great, mm. great opportunity for him. He wanted me to go with him, but I just I just couldn't do it out of family. And so I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. But that I mean that
2: prangs your. Your your thesis right there. Like yeah. you have to you start need, over. You need an advisor. You're talking about yeah. starting over.
0: So you know what I really want to do first of all is sort of give you the cred you deserve for this, and, and tell the story of how the uh, the Azure team, uh, your interactions with the oh, Azure team yeah. as they were doing their machine learning uh, library. So
1: so I sat down with uh, some of some of the data scientists from, and these are PhD data scientists from and the people working on Azure ML. They're a bunch of geniuses. Mm. Tons of PhDs working on it. And it's I remember. A real, data scientist, real data scientists. Real yeah. data scientists. And you know, not like me, you know, like the, the ones that sweep, sweep their floor and take their trash out, right? That's to me. But you've got a Matt Damon esque quality sure, about that. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Every so often you still fill a board uh, with that's stuff. Right. That's right. Sometimes. I mean, I have been known to fill boards. It's great. And so I was sitting with them and I was telling them how I engineered. New ML. Mm. Uh, and they said, yeah, a lot of the, those same concepts are in Azure ML. And as mm. you, if you look at Azure ML and the way it's composed, you can, you can sort of see that they do the same kind of thing. Mm. But, but you've got to use Azure if you're going to use Azure ML, right? That's right. And there's a difference, right? M- my library is constrained by whatever your memory is. Right. Because I'm working on memory, and it's also you know, C sharp. And so sometimes when you're working with with a, with a language that has sort of an intermediate uh, sort of representation, you're going to run into some some issues as a
0: performance. Right. So what happened when you sat down with these guys?
1: Yeah, they they uh, they explained to me how Azure ML worked, and I I showed them how my stuff worked. I'm like, I have this iGenerator generator that generates an i model, and they're like. Yeah, we have something very similar to that, and I was like, "Well, that's that's validation that at least some smart people are the, doing the similar smart people things." People giggle at you, yeah, yeah. Always yeah. oh, the cute. They were like, "Oh, <laughs> that's so nice." No, but they did. Like, they went to my talk, you know, which is nice. very, you know, it like some real scientists, and they afterwards are like. Everything was really good with, with a couple of things And let's talk about it. I'm like okay I'm gonna take some notes yeah, I sat down he, Yeah with, if any, with any luck They've just they stumbled into some dragons Before you have no. uh, Absolutely And they were They were uh, They were concerned about Just the way I na- I called certain things And I was like Oh yeah I'll call I, I can call them Whatever you want I don't care The noun battle really I, I you know I will defer to those That have written a thesis, you know? (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying, you know? That stuff takes a long
2: time. I'm I'm with you. And and it is, we... I do think we're struggling with the glossary right mm-hmm. now of just trying to get all these terms that everybody buys into. Mm-hmm. You know, we more or less agree on what an object is these days yeah. and what an event is and what a method is. And it's part of what establishes a technology as credible is that it has a glossary that people largely agree on. I just don't
1: think we're there with them out. And I think the glossary is partly made up and whoever gets the loudest microphone that makes up the glossary. We well, would mistakes. hope that whoever builds the best, most useful code. Right. We all know that that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest yeah. with each other. The loud ones. Yeah. So the, every the, the time
0: the we talk about machine learning, um, predictive analytics comes up. And uh, once again, I just want to disambiguate the nice. difference. Nice uh, word, uh, one man. is a subset of the other. So just let's start I, there.
1: In my opinion, predictive analytics and machine learning – they're kind of the same thing, right? Machine learning is divided into two general-ish things. One is supervised learning that is doing mm-hmm. prediction. Mm-hmm. Right? And another is unsupervised learning that's doing about like grouping. But yeah. the grouping is being used to do prediction. So <laughs> either way.
2: <laughs> is it really unsupervised? I mean, what does it really mean, supervised versus unsupervised? That's a way?
1: great question. So supervised learning is the case where you're giving the computer examples of the right thing. So in my case, for example, last week we did a code mash robotics thing right and the right thing we wanted to get it to learn how to to drive on a piece of tape right so it looks at the tape Mm -hmm. sees
0: where it's going and follows it
1: and by looks there's a sensor that's literally really close to the ground right that's that's getting light that's bouncing light off Mm -hmm. of it and it was on a white white uh white tablecloth Mm -hmm. and there was black tape so it's pretty Mm -hmm. clear yeah and so Giving it the right thing to do is like every, every couple of milliseconds, it's getting the signal from the three wires that says, what are the colors that it sees? Right. And then the person driving it is pushing an arrow on their keyboard to go left or right. Right. And so you have the instance of, you have three, three sensor readings plus a, what am I pushing? You know, how fast is the motor going? Right. In this instance, it's supervised learning because you know what the output is. In this case, it's left or right. There's no, there's no ambiguity. You, yeah, sure. you have th- three things coming in, and you want to learn this one thing. That's supervised learning. Unsupervised learning is a case, for example, where you want to suggest a product to somebody. Yeah, a priori you don't know anything about this person. So what you do is you try to group them together with the people that are similar to them. Right. And the process of grouping is unsupervised learning because you have no objective. You just want to group them.
0: I see. But you then you loo- you later use that grouping to for an objective, which is to pr- to predict what product they might buy. So you're you're in a group with all these other people. You see that the products that they have that you don't have. That's right. And you suggest those. Absolutely. That's uh, that's one way of doing it. The
1: other way of doing it is finding similarities of products and then when you add one product
0: to a cart you pick another from that group so it's kind of like when we went out for a curry last night oh yeah and we I ordered some samosas as an appetizer the guy said yes sir but you really want yes. the appetizer the platter. platter yeah yeah that's because point. look that guy's getting the appetizer platter yeah. and you're about as fat as that guy <laughs> oh jeez so, <laughs> so so one is content
1: based right and that's the uh, <laughs> and some of us has more content than yeah. others <laughs> Man, this is going to be good. So that's what unsupervised learning does. I see. But the the idea is that you're you're not when you're doing the modeling, you're not predicting. You're sort of grouping. Yeah. But then later you use that grouping to do prediction.
0: All right. And so so it is sort of an out you know an outcome. You yeah. Know, a, a predictive analytics is sort of an outcome of machine learning.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I haven't looked at the term, and I'm not going to be a, a term long because I don't profess to be. A genius-level PhD guy, obviously. But that's pretty
0: much you know, what you're trying to do. Yeah. is,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. When, you, when, you have, when you're trying to figure out, what should I do next? Right. Right.
0: And so for those who aren't on Azure and they want to use uh, machine learning, they can use new ML. That's right. Is it a Windows-only System Is it a .NET-only system?
1: That's a really good question. Uh, .NET is, is evolving right now. We're, we're at an interesting and phase. And you notice
0: that the question, there were two questions there. Yeah. One is, is it a Windows-only and is it a .NET-only? Because yeah. those are two different
1: things. They are, they are. And so I'm, I'm going to start with the, with the latter. .NET is kind of in an interesting place where we're starting to see it work on a Linux and a, a Mac machine. Right and I realized I realized that... And this if, is work you've been wor- involved in, too. I haven't done anything with it other than I want to know how it works and I'll go ask questions and put them on camera kind of thing. Right. right. Uh, and so what I decided to do is because I know at Codemash, there was going to be a lot of Macs. Like if mm-hmm. we were to look at the computers that were here, if you can visualize in your head, I see two PCs, well, one PC and a Mac. This is, he has an ex- Richard has an extra screen here. Because I'm that still, kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. Because it, you, you can't m- write software without an extra screen. It's tedious. Yeah. And so I decided, okay, so new ML does not have very many dependencies. I think it has zero. I added JSON.NET fairly recently, but I'm thinking of taking it out in favor of something that's embedded for JSON. But it literally has no dependencies. Great. Uh, And so I decided, okay, how hard would it be to make it work on the new .NET or .NET Core? .NET Core. Right. And so we, we started this work probably maybe a year ago just to start to play around with the portable version. Mm-hmm. And then I decided a couple of months ago to go full bore and make it work on .NET Core. So it, yeah. it, right now it does work on .NET Core in the, the beta release. Nice. And so for the, for the lab last week, I had people install .NET, download the, the, the files, and they could run it, and they could see. And it was, to me, So they it was were like, running it on a Mac. They were running the actual code on a Mac, not in a VM. There was no VM set right. up. There. It's not, it wasn't parallels. It was literally from their shell net restore dotnet run and, mm. and it worked which was great that is cool so now it's uh, it's available on all those other absolutely so platforms. it works on .NET, but it works on the new flavors of .NET that work on Linux and a Mac and for right now it only works on
0: uh, Ubuntu 14.04 but with docker obviously you can do whatever so if you're setting this up and say yeah docker container mm-hmm. on you know Amazon let's say, do you, do you use the sort of microservice idea where this um, your machine learning entity mm-hmm. is its own kind of service that is just looking at data that's in a, in a store as it comes in maybe and, and just works off on its own? Or is it something that you pass data new data through as it comes in? Like, how does the pipeline work? That's typically? a really good
1: question. So NuML, as it's built right now, when, when you're working with machine learning, you always have to start with data. What data do I have? And is it something that I want to learn a specific target, supervised learning? Or am I just doing grouping, unsupervised mm. learning? And then what am I doing with those models after? So NuML doesn't care where it lives, so to speak. Right. Uh, so let's, let's go with the predictive case where we're doing supervised learning because I think it's the easiest to understand. You have, you have these, this data, and you have to convert it over to, to vectors because that's where all the machine learning happens, vectors sure. and matrices. Yeah. And so if you're doing a supervised learning problem, it's, you just scared off every... yeah. I know, and that's uh, what I, I knew that. Yeah. And so new ML, what you do is you create this object called a descriptor that describes your class or your table or your, your any object that you have. And you say, these are the things I'm going I'm to use to learn, called features, mm-hmm. and this is the thing I want to learn, called a label. So you just, you just create an object that says, these are the things I'm going to use to learn, and this is how I'm going to learn it. And then the descriptor will convert that for you. Yeah, the fact that those are vectors under the hood, we don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. I and love
0: so it. When I think of a vector, I think of uh, a point in three-dimensional space to another point in three-dimensional space. Sure. Yeah. It could be that, or for for those that do
1: linear algebra with unconstrained with unconstrained dimensions, meaning that, right? For example, you might have fifty columns that you're trying to learn for. That's yeah. a fifty-dimensional vector. Sure. You shouldn't you shouldn't think of it in terms of like. Fifty dimensions in space because your head will hurt you know yeah, right but you should think of it as 50 different dimensions of your data
2: yeah i get it yeah, yeah. i think again it's a little less threatening than when we started casting this into you know physical space mm. suddenly you're dealing with these weird oh look i'm
1: stephen hawking land yeah, and, yeah. That's right. i'm just not that smart so and i think human human humans understanding i think i can think of five dimensions at a time you know and that's about as far as i can go what's that fifth one so I can go XYZ, yep. uh, time, time. yeah, and then density. So mm. think of think of the sun, yeah, and you know cuz the, the gas is it change over time mm-hmm. and that density at a specific point, you can refer to it in in three di- three dimensions over time and density at that particular point. And mm. so that's how as far as I can go as thinking of something physically in five dimensions. Okay. Hmm. Does that does that make sense? No, I would not to I, me. I, I, but no, I go now. I would immediately go after this in the, in the from
2: the terms of derivatives. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there should be an equation there that could express the density based on the other vectors. Yeah.
1: Uh, And
2: that would take us a long way off pack. So I'm not going (laughs) to go there.
1: But but that's how I I think of a physical system. That's as far dimensionally as I can go. But you shouldn't think of it like that. You should think of you have a set of properties on your class and you have another property that's special that that's the thing you want to learn. And then you have a big square of data or an I enumerable of that T. And you pass that I enumerable of T to the descriptor and say, give me the examples in vector form and it'll give you a matrix and a vector. Nice. You can do that. But to be honest, you don't need to because... Now you really just want to create a model. And so you just use the descriptor, you pass it to the generator. Well, and model.
2: I like that you're sort of a, you're kind of adhering to business goals there too. Yeah. You know, the, the the closer we can stay related to the I'm actually trying to understand where my customers are coming from. Right. right. You know, and using different chunks of data to do that, adding different dimensions of data into doing that. Uh, that's compelling. I think that keeps people a little more grounded with what I'm trying to do there, in machine
0: learning. Hey Rockheads. As Richard and I travel the world for the Azure World Tour, we're telling people all about our dev-centric friends at Stackify. They've been awarded PC Magazine Editor's Choice for application performance management, stating, and I quote, The depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshine the other products in this category, end quote. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers. Which is why PCMag's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks. To build better apps faster, and get your free game. You once told me, Seth, that in order where, where you start is what do you want to learn, right? That's, right? That's the first question you ask: is what do you want to learn? Do you want to learn, uh, you know, how likely someone is to make a purchase yep. at this point in time? Do you want to learn, uh, you know, whatever the whatever the thing you want to ask, you have to come up with that question first. And then you do what? You cherry-pick the pieces of data that you think will tell you that? Yes, and that, that, my friends, and
1: this is the dirty secret, is where the data scientists will spend the majority of their time. What are those variables? Finding, finding the right data, and then... And you know this, because everyone has this dude at the office, you know, where it says name on the text box, and they're like typing age in, you're like, dang it, Phil, that's the name. And so you have in your column, (laughs) you have in your column things that should be named, but instead you have the age there, and so the other part is cleaning it up. Scrubbing and cleaning is horrible. It's endless. Endless, Uh, endless, endless. And to... To be honest, NuML doesn't handle that right now, but Chris, who's the gentleman who's contributing to the source code, he's in Australia. Mm-hmm. We were up last night talking about this problem because if if the models has if there's a piece of data that the models haven't seen, it's going to throw an exception. I don't know what this is. Yeah. Never seen it. Right. And so we've 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 figured out a way to do some cleansing pipelines beforehand that hopefully will will be able to engineer in the next couple of months.
0: Oh, all right. Wow, that's and that's sort of not in the it, it's almost in the wheelhouse of machine learning but it's more just like data science. data yeah, yeah it's just data, data, data science. science right
1: and if you think about it the better your data is the better your models will perform sure and so once you've gone from that, once you have your data and you have had the, you make this descriptor object that's in new ML that describes mm. you, the, your type. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a strong type. You can, you can work with anonymous types. You mm-hmm. can work with dynamic objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as you tell it, these are the properties and these are the types that I'm working with, mm-hmm. then what we do under the covers is we make a lot of assumptions and we convert it all over to vector, vectors and matrices. But here's the problem. We're making a lot of assumptions. If you give me an enum Right now, it's converting it to its numerical representation, which we all know in .NET is an, an int. Mm. Right, but but if you're giving me a string, what do I do there? Well, I'm I'm faking it by saying, okay, let's treat that as an enum, number one. Or there's this other thing called the bag of words model. That what it does, it goes across all of the all of the uh, all of the rows in that string column, counts all the words. And then creates a column for each word, and then it puts word counts in there.
0: I don't know if you know this, but my nickname in school was "Bag of Words." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: that was mine too. Yeah, but French. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> Bag of funny. words. Bag of words. <laughs> and so, so you, it's a, you're uh, basically genera- all French people.
2: You're kind of deriving it. You're, you're faking out an, an innumerable number, a numerical representation, a numerical representation of that. Of column. That. So let's uh, face it.
1: Bag of words. Yeah, Here's, an example. Right. Here's a better example that might make more sense. What do I do if you have a date time? Yes. Mm, mm. Well, what you do is you create a date time property and say what portions of the date do you want. Mm. So for example, do you want the month in there? Do you want it to expand out? So, so this one property in the vector will expand out to however many field or, or numbers that you want. So mm. you can say, hey, I, want, I just all I care about is the time of day, Mm. And the day of the year, you can tell mm. it that, and then what it will do is, uh, NewML will automatically expand that into two slots instead of one. Got it. I mean, day of the year makes me nervous because the hundredth
2: day of the year on one year might be a Sunday, and on another day it's a Monday, and you know, in, in terms
1: of e- of commerce, that it And that depends on bigger impact. If you're if you're, for example, an ecologist and you're trying to figure out sort of Predict water flow over the year, right? Its day of year might actually be, be better, pretty useful because yeah. you you know roughly it's the same day of the year each year. that is The mm-hmm. equinox, but same if amount of time has passed. But yeah. if you're doing sales, for example, right. and you want to know how much to stock, the month might be more important, right? And the, or the day, day, of day of the, of the week. week, that's right. right. Month and yeah. daily, so you use you use those two. So notice that that now what NewML has done is it's abstracted away the modeling and sort of done the made it so that you have to think about your data, the question and what data you're going
2: to use. There's a data scientist coming out saying, day of the week is important in this scenario. That's right. As opposed to day of the year.
0: So getting back to my original question, would you normally have an entity that sits out there and just churns numbers and numbers and numbers and then maybe puts its uh, current estimations or whatever in some other table for you to query later? Or is it something that you would query directly... You know, let's say we're in a website situation. Sure. This is something that you would query directly, and is it that fast that it can be real-time?
1: That's a good question. And so the reason why I started with the descriptors because I, I, I didn't want to... So the answer is you can do whatever you want, right? And, okay. and a good consultant always says... It depends. It, that's the one, right? It depends. <laughs> Everyone knows this. It depends. And so I yeah. wanted to start out with saying this is how you describe your data. But then once you have your data there, if you're doing prediction, there are two... Two interfaces in NuML. One's called an IGenerator, and that takes your descriptor mm. and a collection of things, and it generates this thing called an IModel. Mm. The the I generating a model is supposed to take a long time. Yeah. The IModel is pretty simple. It's serializable to JSON, mm-hmm. and that's the thing you do prediction against.
2: Okay. And. I mean, obviously, while you're building this, you have a set of data that you're working from. Yes. So you're going to end up fitting
1: this model to this data in some respect. That's right. But there is a problem in machine learning called overfitting. Yes. So in in NewML, we have this this static class called a learner where you can pass the descriptor, you can pass the generator, Mm. and you say, okay, use 80% of my data and you give it the collection, the, uh, the I enumerable of T, right. and you say, give me, only use 80% to train and use the balance to test. Run it 100 times. Mm. Right. And each time, it takes a random 80% to train, 20% to test, I and see. then it gives you the best one.
0: So you're going to have different levels. You're going to have things that just work in the background all the time, and then you're going to have things that you can query. That's
1: right. And the, yeah. the i-model is the thing you query. The i-generator yep. is the thing that's always working in the background. Nice. And overfitted
2: really means... When you run it against your test set of data, it'll work great. And when you run it against the new
1: incoming data, it doesn't work so good. Overfitting means that what you're doing is you're making a model that works really well on the data you have. Right. But it doesn't generalize well to the data that Because this in. is where, you know, now we're trying to get into the value proposition
2: here,
0: right? Of yep. what, is this, what do we do with this? How do we actually create a win? And before you answer that, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is uh, now. It must be that happy time. It's again. a very happy time. It's time to announce that I'm doing the music soundtrack to Gus Van Sant's upcoming movie, Goodwill Juarez.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have spent several weeks, you know, trying to hide the script under lock and key. And now it's out. So, Goodwill Juarez.
0: <laughs> uh, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Build the mobile apps you've always wanted to build. Use NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript inside of Visual Studio with a Telerik Platform subscription which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing apple. Get started for free at www.nativescript.org. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Brandon Preston. Ah, congratulations, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll
0: clap yeah. for you, sir. Oh, you know, I have a clapper in Do my you have head. the clappers? Uh, I like the, you know, yeah. this is a little bit better. We can actually better. clap. Yeah, we can clap. And uh, Brandon Preston just won the Telerik DevCraft Collection. It's a big pile of awesome from our sponsor, Telerik. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .netrocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree, that's right, to one lucky member of the .netrocks fan club, but you've got to sign up to win. And now, Seth, yes. you're on the spot. Five grand, let's go shopping. What do you buy?
1: Probably a what, what uh, a Surface Book. Ah, so that's a safe
0: bet. He Richard, said looking you wanna, across from
1: my Surface Book. Uh, Do
0: you want to sell it to him?
1: No, no actually, I kind of like it. So. Oh. You, you want to give it to him? Yeah, no, not a bit. Here's <laughs> the problem, right? Like when I'm doing my stuff, I need some beef. Yeah. it's a
2: it's a punchy machine. I mean, it's sort of shaped like an Ultrabook, but it's not. It's got more horsepower than that. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it, I'm very impressed with it. People have had problems with this machine. I've heard people have been complaining, and I, I don't know if I got a good one or something. They just got, got an early lucky. one. I got one of the very first. You know, yeah. if anybody should have been punished, it's me. Right. I'll—I'll I'll say this: it has had a ton of firmware updates, hmm. and you know, they—they've been patching, 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 and that—and that has certainly helped. Uh, I've also heard that because of all of those patches, it's in your best interest if your machine is cranky to apparently just wipe it do a base OS install, get all the patches on, and then load software on it again. Uh-huh. Like, it, the order may matter. Do you mean after the firmware, after you yeah. do all the firmware updates, then repave it? Well, it, 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 yeah, repay. the I'm not having that much trouble with mine that I feel like I need to repave it. But mm. the folks have been having prob- weird problems. One of the things they said is, you know, a paving really helps. So and I'm tempted to pave it anyway just to see if I can. I repave every sure. six months. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm with you. Um, and my favorite thing now is this little Asus external monitor. Oh, is, it's, it's wonderful. If you're not looking at it, it's huge. It's, it's big, it, which is, a, you know, not necessarily a, a great thing. It does ha- I have to
1: carry a lot, slightly larger bag for it. But it's powered off the USB port so no oh. extra brick.
2: But I have a second screen, and so,
1: yeah. There's nothing like a second screen to make you feel like you're doing twice as much. There you go. I need a third screen. I have a friend. Uh, his name is Andre. He has six screens, in himself, up, and he, he gets must so be, much. He done. must get so much done. It's like a, it's like his own like sort of station. It literally, looks like he's commanding some rocket ship or but something. Boss, I'm
0: six times this productive. <laughs> nice. I just can't
2: find that window you're clicking on.
1: Sure, your graphics card is two thousand dollars, but yeah. hey, that's something. that's and something trying some. to set fire to the cats, yeah, That's right. That's right.
0: Um, how much configuration are we looking at with new ML Good to question. get started? It's uh,
1: for for those that want to use it, you obviously have a type and there's a way to declare a descriptor and there's three different ways. And so it's literally a question of declaring a descriptor, picking the generator that you want to use to generate the model and then saving the model to do prediction. And what generator choices do we have? So right now there's a couple of them and, and Chris has added some. I've added a decision tree uh, there is also this algorithm called Perceptron, which is a linear separator. There's a kernelized version of the Perceptron, which is a cheap version of something called support vector machines, which Chris has added. So we have support vector machines. We also this is have, another contributor on the open source project. Yeah, and that's why I was comfortable to talk about it, because now someone else is putting code What's, in. Can we <laughs> say Chris's last name? K- Kali, K-A-L-L-E. Oh, really man. smart guy you know you should have him on he's great so now you're in a real open source project because you have more than one contributor and we have we have other people that are keen on submitting documentation as well oh wow that's cool and so so we, we that's once p- other people start b- saying, yeah, I've used it and it's okay, it's, I'm like, okay. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, To be honest, I made it because I wanted to understand the things better. Right. And, and then I wanted, other, and I wanted other people to understand it better. And it seems to have worked. It, it seems to have worked. I mean, I don't know. Generally with machine learning, if someone uses my library, they're likely not going to tell me that they have a really good model that works. Because once you have a model that works, that's really precious IP. Right. And, and it,
2: getting back to this whole generator thing, it's like, how would I... What are the chances that I'm going to pick the right
1: generator? Should I just try them all? That's a good question. In fact, the learner allows you to pass a params of i generator. Oh, okay. And so you can just you can pick them all if you want yeah. and then see, but then that's going to do a lot of computation. Just it's all computational resourcing. This yeah. is where we get back to this whole, you know, the advantage of Azure ML thing mm-hmm. here is you just throw more horsepower at it at any time. That's right. And that's why when people are saying, "Well, I have terabytes of data and I need to make really good models, and it needs to run relatively better than it does on my machine, then I, I suggest they use Azure ML. Right. And I mean, throwing more data at it, it's always better in that respect? Depends. There's something, and this is funny, because the thing about machine learning is that I think, we, I think it makes statisticians and mathematicians upset how we abuse things. Right. Here's an example. There is a, there is a scientific thing in machine learning called pack learning. Right. Pack learning st- stands for probably, approximately, correct. Right. Mm. And pack learning will tell you how many rows of your data you need, given a specific model, to probably get this approximately
2: right. correct. Well, this is when you study statistics, you learn this whole you know five percent sampling rate, like being able to get a re- uh, you, you sort of hit the Pareto's law of of uh, data accuracy fair- with a fairly small data set. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take, like I said, it's like one, one in 20 is enough of a sampling to
1: be, as long as it's tr- a truly a random sampling, and that to dep- be pretty predictive. And that depends, right? Because the thing about the sampling for, for machine learning is you want it to be predictive. right? And, 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 and it's, it's hard to say. So say, for example, you have a column that's uniformly distributed. Mm-hmm. It might not be a good column to use, but it might be good to use in conjunction with another column. Right, the two right. together. You see what I'm saying? It's and a lot so of
0: experimentation. It, yeah,
1: and so that's why it's called data science. And I think people mm-hmm. use the term science wrong because science is glorified guess and check. That's right. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's just a validation methodology. Mm-hmm. And so you keep trying stuff until it works. And so my first slide is this might not work. Right. It's yeah. not my fault. Yeah, rule yeah. one is this might not work. I'm I'm writing the
2: models correctly. But yeah. the tendency of software people, I think, is throw more data at it. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get into this overfitting effect, right? Yeah. Instead more of taking a 5% be sample and, and trying to create a predictive model around that to test against the 95%, you're taking 80% or 90% of that to try and... Value to
1: ten. Yeah, and I don't know, I, my feeling is the more the computer sees, the better it does. Right. Well, I think that that seems to be an in,
2: sort of in, inherent intuition. I just don't, statistics it, says that's not true. Yeah, but that, that's the thing, we
1: abuse statistics uh, <laughs> as machine learning folks to the right. point where like, hey, that's not right, why are you doing
0: that? Because it works. But isn't it true that if you, yeah, more data is better, but if the data isn't relevant... Yeah. You're basically confusing it, yes. Aren't you? That's and, true. And, and so they're there you you creating overfitting effects again.
1: That's right. So here's an example where well, the the little robot that was trained last week did really well on on a line, straight line, it did really well on curves actually, by learning on a straight line. It didn't do well on really tight turns. Right. Mm. And so it did well on one really soft, smooth, tight turns, but not like jagged tight tight turns. Right. And so what happened is as we were watching this, me and David, who is the robotics guy, uh, were like, you know what? We know what we should do. In autonomous mode, we should make it so that when it makes a mistake, the user takes over and puts it back on track. Mm -hmm. Right. And so notice that you have this model that might have been overfit on on those kinds of things because Mm -hmm. it was was trained to see a straight line. But then when you correct it, you put that back into the actual generator, and then you regenerate a model based upon all the new information, too, in addition to the old information. And then you use that model. And then when it makes a mistake in autonomous mode, you correct it. And the more you correct it, the more you're giving it data that it actually needs. You're adding Listen. weight to the significance of data. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that, that robot, like I said, he trained it, and his name is Nathan, trained it for like, it, it had to be like 30 to, seconds to a minute. It wasn't huh. that long. Yeah. It, was just like, it was like three feet of line. And it was doing some pretty amazing things just with that. Imagine if we reinforced its
0: learning. Now, here's a question. When I think of this kind of stuff from in the last 10 years of my experience, I think neural networks. Uh-huh. So... Does that play at all in your in new ML or is neural network a particular type of machine learning not used, used by you? What is how what's the relationship? So there?
1: I'm fairly agnostic. Obviously I have my own opinions on which models I like just for because I like mathematical purity as well. Mm. But we implement neural networks. It was it was it wasn't implemented correctly. There was a problem that I had that I had meaning to go fix. Mm. Chris found it and he fixed it. I'm like, oh yeah. Duh, I forgot this one thing. Right. I forgot to put the dampening function on the output nodes as well. God, what I was. hate when I do Every that. Every time, man. Oh. <laughs> and so he fixed that, which was great. And so it's in there. But if you think about it, uh, the way I teach models is I always start with a linear separator. To, you know, if you're thinking of a series of points, if you can imagine yeah, in your head. Split a line down. Yeah, t- split a line and split in half. Yeah. But notice that if you have... Uh, a, a density of data in a circle, and then a density of data outside of the circle that you want to—you can't do that. And so, right. SVMs project into a new space, right? So you imagine, SVM, yeah, support vector machines. Okay. so that's a model we have, and then neural networks add on that linear model because if you think of a—if you think of a, a equation for a line, it's y equals mx plus b. In vector space, it's this matrix a x. And so what you do with uh, uh, support uh, with uh, neural networks is this linear effect, you're just adding layers on top of it. But it's a linear model at the base with nonlinear things in the middle. And so everything starts with a line and then you either change its base or change the function. And so to us, as far as I'm concerned, if there's a model that you really like, you can choose. I, we don't care because we don't know what model is going to work on
0: your data or not. All right. Is there any type of application that one lends itself... Better to than another, or is that? I don't know. That's not your concern, no. really.
1: No, not, not, not only is it, is it not, not that it's not my concern, it's just I don't, it depends on the data you have. Sure, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Your data. Yeah, the
0: quintessential neural network thing is like horse racing, which you did some of that, yep. uh, horse picking and stock predictions mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And we were, we were talking in the car on the way to dinner last yeah. night, you know, what, what happens if the fundamentals change? Yeah. And, you know, if you're training it on data, you know uh, w- during the cold war let's say yeah. and then all of a sudden everything goes upside down afterwards hey, you have this inflection point that changes yeah. the rules and suddenly that old
1: data is a burden on your on your learning rather than an asset and in that case right you could you could be clever about how you're separating your data obviously the, the models that you had before are good but sometimes you just need to press the arrow on the robot to correct it a little bit <laughs> that's okay <laughs> right i mean it's
0: it's learning no, 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 that way.
1: <laughs> that, yeah, that, no, this way. And, yeah, yeah. and what happens is it will learn. And the thing is that your past data is maybe not going to be reflective of what's going to happen in the future, but it's certainly going to suggest mm-hmm. something, and that's the idea. So when, when speaking about neural networks in particular, neural networks were the hotness in the 90s. They stopped being the hotness in favor of support vector machines, and now they somehow become the hotness again. Really? Yeah. They, in the 90s, they were all the rage.
0: Well, I knew that, but I didn't know there, there was a resurgence of interest.
1: There was. And interest. The, the, the primary resurgence, in my opinion, and again, I, I'm not the guy with the extra letters at the end of my name. Is because the computational power has increased to such mm. a degree
0: that making these things really deep has become feasible. I see. So, okay? yeah, so that was the problem in the 90s. We didn't have enough horsepower. I, that's my sense. They're so, building computers now that just do those things. The Surface has this great handwriting recognition, mm. and I know that's all neural network based.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, it yeah. works really well. But again, it's kind of like, you know, in, in computer, in our computer, you guys know this. You've been around long enough to know that Jason's all the hotness. But then again, that's what XML was five years ago. It's sure. the same thing yeah. as XML five years yeah. ago. And yeah. now you're getting JSON schema and then all oh, this no, other no, stuff. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> now you <can> just talk <laughs> crazy talk. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is, I mean, neural networks are the hotness now, but I'm not really concerned with what the hotness of the model is. I'm yeah, more right. concerned of how many models can I provide. And the cool thing is, in my talk later on today, I'm going to show you how to write your own eye generator and your own eye model. Nice. Very cool.
2: Um, before the break, we were just digging into this whole idea of you know you've built a model that appears predictive. now you need to take action, you need to sort of take advantage of what, you know mm-hmm. what do I tell my boss <laughs> you know we have, we've
1: learned this thing, and we should be now doing this with it that's a good question. it depends on the model, like for example, neural networks are people i don 't know why people. Okay, so I need to take a step back. For me, I like linear models like support vector machines right. because they're convex functions that are
0: optimizable. Right. Neural networks... And, and a linear model, the data passes through it once? Is that No, the a linear
1: model is uh, uh, something that has a line that will separate the data. Right, well,
0: oh, I see, okay.
1: So the model is is simple, right? Got it. And, and in, in, in support vector machines, it's a convex function, you can optimize it. Neural networks are not convex. So when you're doing... So optimizing a particular function in math is if it's convex, you'll get an absolute answer by doing calculus right? right you can find the absolute right answer according to the math right it might not it might it's the best that it can do given that but with neural networks it's not convex it means that you might find you might find a good optimum but it might not be the best optimum right I and so you it. have to do some interesting math to sort of find your way well, around. it's
2: almost a black box effect when you start using neural networks
1: exactly and so your question was what do we do with these models yeah What's how do you, we act on them? and so the the in new ML, what you do is you have this i model and this i model has a predict method and the predict method, you pass in the T or the object mm-hmm. that matches the descriptor. And what it will do is it fill in the label mm. for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, okay, well, what if it doesn't predict well? Can I at least look at what's in the model yeah. to help me decide, well, what column is causing this? And the problem with neural networks is you can't do that. Right. Because there's this inner it. layer that does not With decision trees, you can see the tree it made. And see where it. Went wrong, so to speak. With linear models (laughs) like Perceptron, you can see which column provided the most weight to the decision. And in support vector machines, you can find the points in your data that are along the boundaries of the decision. I see. But with neural networks, you can't do that. And so to answer your question is, if you want to just tell your boss, I want to use it, you just use imodel.predict. It will fill in the thing. And then you make a decision whether you should follow that. Or you can look at the i model itself and have it visualized for you in order to see what it is that it's doing. Nice. Should we walk through an example of this? Sure. What do you think? Like uh, a
0: business model
2: example? Well, the, the suge- making a the suggestion su- yeah. of what else you should buy.
1: Okay, that is an unsupervised learning. Okay. thing. So that's a little bit different. So it's good that we're talking about that. So here's what you do with that kind of thing. Let's just say you're thinking about. Okay. So the the first time someone goes to your product store. Yep. You don't know who they are. Yep. How do, you, how do you tell them what they should buy? You can't. No. Mm. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to click on something. Yep. Now you know something about that person. Right. They're interested in that thing. So that thing, what you can do is you can do an unsupervised model beforehand that groups all of your products together. Right. So it recognizes
2: anybody who clicks on this you know, or certain number of times, you know, 50% of the time, somebody clicks on this,
1: also clicks on that. That's right. And so what you, what you do is, even better than that, is you just say, these are similar. Right. So if they put this in their cart, then they're, they're going to want this. The way you do that with a new...
0: Go ahead. Oh, no, no, it's just the thought occurred to me. What if they clicked on the second thing because you told them to click on the second thing? And that's why everybody's clicking on the second thing.
1: Could be, I don't know, but you're <laughs> overfitting the customer. <laughs> but you've got, you've got the desired action, though. You yeah, want to, that's yeah. not a bad outcome. Okay. And so what you do in new ML is you create a descriptor, mm-hmm. same as before. Then you use, uh, for example, K-means, which says clustering, or uh, yeah, does it does grouping. You say, how many groups do you want to make out of your data? Mm-hmm. I don't know, 100. And then it groups your data. So then you can, in your database, you can say, these all belong to group one. These all belong to group two. And if you yeah. tell it 100, it's going to make 100 groups whether it should or not. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. So I mean, it's, it's, that deciding that number, that's hard, where data scientists spend most of their time. But I that's that. k-means. But that's, that's one form of clustering. There's also right. something called hierarchical clustering where you don't have to give it a k. Okay. There's also other things called like Gaussian mixture models that will give you the densities around these points as well. Mm-hmm. And so... For, for your particular example, you make the descriptor, you do k-means, you pass it the, you pass it the uh, descriptor, and you say, I'm going to do k-means on this data. It says, all of these, it'll give you a number on w- the grouping. right? And then what you do is you just store it in the database. And when the person comes the next time, you say, okay, uh, I, they clicked on this. Oh, that belongs to group one. Let's fetch all of the items that are in, in that group. group and sort them by how close they are to this one. Right. And if you think about it, what I'm doing is I'm converting your product into a vector, and you can measure the distance between them. Right. Literally. And, and you can measure any kind of distance. You can do Euclidean. Uh, there's, a, there's tons of metrics in there. There's cosine distance. There's Hamming distance. There's whatever. Depending on what distance you use, that'll create
0: a different sort of shape. All right. So here's another example. You haven't, you, you're measuring with IoT devices, I don't know, um, you know the, the statistics of elevators. This mm-hmm. is a great already existing study yes. that's done right, elevators, and uh, you want to predict when a particular elevator is going to need service. Great question. So that would be a supervised learning problem because the answer is service
1: yes or no. Yeah. Remember before <laughs> the one we were doing with the grouping, there was no real answer. They're just grouping it together. Right. That's unsupervised. learning. Yeah. So with this one, you just, what you do is you get all this sensor data, and you're going to have a list of data, and you're going to have need service, does not need service. need or service, s- service date. Yeah, next or, service date. Or, or next service date, for yeah, example. Yeah. And, and, and to, for simplification, I like to change all of these into binary. And, because once mm-hmm. you have a binary classifier, you can make a multi-class classifier.
0: So your binary could be need service in the next five months. That's right. Need service
1: in the next yeah. five months. Yes or no. And what you do is you, you create an, a descriptor. That describes your columns, that says, this is all the sensor data, these are my features, and I want to learn if it needs, if it needs, if it's going to need service in the next five months or not. Right. Then you create an I generator, give it the descriptor and the collection of data, it will generate an I model that then you can persist and save Mm. to do prediction. Mm. And so next time the sensors send back data, you use a descriptor to convert it to a vector. It, well, it actually does it for you. Mm-hmm. you just do model and it will remember the type because as the descriptor burned into it, and then it will fill in yes or no now in both scenarios we're battling
2: with this idea of how do we know this was effective mm-hmm. right like if I, I, mean, I make suggestions in the shopping cart if you actually buy those suggestions, I guess i'm effective yes. although how effective would be an interesting question if you only ever buy the thing that you originally put in, am I completely ineffective like the, Know, trying to decide how, you know, huh. where that is. And I feel Good like that's a,
1: that's a question that's beyond the scope of the library, right? right. We're just going to generate the standard models for you. Yeah. And then what you do with them is really up to you. Yeah. I mean, we can easily feed that data back into the predictor
2: for Absolutely. the next thing around. But at the same time, it's like, am I actually doing anything here? Am right. I in, you know, I keep following back on the e-commerce thing because I spend so much time in that space yeah. where it's like.
0: It seems like they're not using predictive analytics at all. They're using reactive analytics. Like, hey, I'm going to show you an ad for something you already bought.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that's that, that, means that's that. dumb. But you know, in your elevator scenario, how do you know that you did predict the right time to service the elevator?
0: Yeah, and yeah. that's
1: what the le- that's what the learner is for. Wait right?
0: for the elevator to
1: break and right. see if it was right. Yeah. Yeah, because here's we the killed thing. a couple of people, but the model's awesome. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. The, the, there's going to come a time when, when like. These things are going to hurt people, and people yeah. are going to question these things. Yeah. I did do work with a company who I'll
2: I'll, I'll leave the name out for now, just because I don't think I have the the authority to use it. Sure. That we they were instrumenting turbines, mm. and these were the turbines for power generation. Okay. And th- their issue is this is power generation, so this thing can't be down, but it does wear out. So we need to predict pretty accurately when it's going to fail mm. so that a year before it fails, we're mm. already putting its replacement into place. Like right. that, Because of the long lead times on technology like that, mm. like you can't wait till it breaks. Right, You have to, to time it well. And they had done very thorough instrumentation and so forth. Uh, they, they understood deeply how their machine worked and could say by the behavior of the bearings... You've got a year left on this. I do the
0: same with hard drives.
2: Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A part of it is very intuition, right? Absolutely. You have, have computers. We all have computers we don't yeah. trust. That's yeah. right. right. You look at them and like
0: go, you're going
2: to do me, aren't you? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to get <laughs> <"Hey>,
2: everything important <laughs> off of you <laughs> now. <laughs> exactly I've right. already started doing that on mine, guys. Yeah, it's, those are predictive analytics. You are predicting, <laughs> <Right>.
1: predicting <laughs> failure. This is
2: pessimism in action.
1: It's sad, but software developers are like naturally pessimistic. Sure.
2: That's only because, you know, when is it
1: pessimism? When is it wisdom, right? Yeah we've had our butts handed to us oh a few times. Goodness. Every time they say, uh, we are hedging against future all the time. Yes. The customer comes and says, hey, I want this. And then our heads are like, they really want this. Yeah. yeah. And they're not going to tell me. I better put... Well, they're not mena- going to know for the next year that yeah. they actually want
2: this. What's
0: the phrase that we use? If you're a pessimist, you're never disappointed and occasionally pleasantly surprised. No. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs>
2: but I think it's a really interesting challenge
1: to take on a machine learning problem like this, and then really validate it. So the way you do it in new ML is you use the learner, and you say, train on 80% of the data, test on the other, so we'll give you an accuracy number. Right. Also, Chris has been... But then I'm going to bring in a new 10% of data, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're going to go out in the world, we're going to do stuff. You redo it, and then you retest. Right. And so Chris has been adding some other measures, like, for example, F-score or uh, recall and precision, which tells you how good you are at guessing the truth or how good you are at knowing the truth kind of thing. You right. know? And so those are other things that, have, that are being added. And so we can only work with the data you give us. Uh, for sure. But I'm still
2: worrying about the average developer trying to take this library on with all of these terms, mm-hmm. not, not knowing what to try. I, and I, I feel
1: bad, but I mean, just uh, some of this
2: stuff so I've been talking I mean, about for I do years. Need to, I,
1: I do need to
2: learn what an F-score is. Yeah, to be able to know when to use it.
1: Usually, usually most people are just excited about accuracy, right. but that's not necessarily the best thing. So, for example, let's just say you're building a predictive model that you want to predict a certain thing if it doesn't know. Yeah, right. Or, or if if it's if it's unsure, predict this. Right. So we we have things in our models like hints that will that will tell it do this instead. Mm-hmm. And we're again we're going to add some other stuff down the pipe down 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 the road that's going to help with this to say if you don't know what to do always guess this hmm.
2: right but I mean early on in this conversation we were talking about simplifying the glossary that you're using terms that make people more comfortable at the same time there's still a certain level of required knowledge like you are going to have to learn a bit about sure. what these machine learning language algorithms are and how they apply and you know as soon as Carl said "Well, we were going to do this thing with elevators she's like oh that's going to be an uns- unsupervised learning
0: yeah but, Knowing that, yes, that's right, the maybe. kind of stuff we need to know. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, I've been, I, I started using this new documentation system, really good with mm-hmm. markdown files called DocFX. Microsoft really open sourced it a couple right. of weeks ago. Right, yeah, yeah. It's really good. This is the like post sandcastle things. Yes. But, I don't know the two have anything to do with each other. No, they're brand new. It uses Roslyn and the XML code okay. to generate some good docs. But in there, you can write your own markdown documents, and we, we're going to try to write some stuff. Just to help with that.
2: Just to Foundation. help walk people. I mean, you've got a getting started button, I guess, that you know that yeah.
0: sort of gets uh, people moving in the right direction. But it's not a small problem. So I did notice if you go to n- newml.net and you click on documentation, it says, this is where the documentation yeah. goes. Like I said, just, <laughs> what happens, yeah. I just
1: barely I just barely got the documentation to be auto-generated. This is all auto-generated static yeah, site yeah. using DocFX. Right. And I just got it to, into my build. I'm using Saki for build. Yep. And so I just got it into the, the build step. And so, yeah, there's a lot of little documentation that we still need to write. But if you look at the one on descriptors, it's the document on descriptors is actually really quite good. Cool. Very cool. And I'll, I'll
2: include a link to DocFX for folks who want to take a look at this. The, this oh, new it's, it's like mm-hmm. literally being... I just double-checked here, and like there was a update to the new get package yesterday. It's mm. fantastic. <laughs> it's so cool.
0: It is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Awesome. Except for that curry last night. That was oh, crazy. Oh, that was
1: really good. We good. had a good curry Man, last they, night. They, I... I, to be honest with you, I had never liked Indian food until I came to London. I yeah. could eat it every night if I had That if is if funny. It's very good.
0: Actually, right. right. Seth, it's been great talking to you as always. And thank you for just explaining stuff to us in English.
1: Oh, well, I, I do my best. I, I can only explain, unfortunately, the things I understand. And so there's stuff that I think I feel I need to go in there and learn again. Well, that's that's, a a, that's what the
0: library's for. Well, that's a lot more than we understand. So well, thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Seth Warriors, ladies and gentlemen. We will talk to you next time. On .net rocks .net rocks is brought to you by franklin's net and produced by pop studios Now, go write some code. See you next time.